0: spend three or four broadcasts talking about the day of Pentecost, and perhaps we'll continue our discussion uh, tomorrow on Rumination Thursday with Wes Reimnitz, or we'll have some other topic that you may email us. But today is Insight Wednesday on this last day of May, the 31st, in the year of our Lord, 2017. And normally, Insight Wednesday, we talk about some insight that I think would be of interest to you, but because we did not have a live program on Monday due to Memorial Day, we're going to be doing the readings or looking at them for this day of Pentecost, this coming Sunday. The Old Testament is Numbers 11, the reading from Acts is Acts chapter 2. And the Holy Gospel is John chapter 7. Uh, during the season of Easter, you may have noted that the first reading was not from the Old Testament. It was from the book of Acts. But uh, beginning with Pentecost on, we now have our Old Testament readings back that we're taking a look at. So, which reading are we going to maybe look at today with the myriad Of items that we could be talking about the day of Pentecost. For instance, uh, we talked about what if the ascension had never occurred? Well, what about if Pentecost had never occurred? And there's quite a bit you can talk about there. But I thought today we would take a look at a portion of the Acts reading that a lot of people misunderstand. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and it appears it wasn't just the disciples, but also believers, including women, about 120 of them. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And that's what I want to focus on today. What does it mean they spoke in other tongues? It doesn't take long for you, if you're turning the stations on the radio or watching television, that you'll run into a congregation that believes that speaking in tongues is, means to speak in an angelic language or what we would consider to be gibberish because that's a special language from you to God. And they would be therefore saying it's not a known human language. In fact, there are some churches that say that unless you're able to speak in tongues, then you really are not properly a Christian. You may be weak. Some even go so far to say that you no longer are a Christian. I, I remember going to a church uh, every now and then on Sundays. I'll, when I when I used to go around the country, I would be preaching at a church, but sometimes it would only have one service, and so I might attend a different congregation that wasn't Lutheran and I remember going to this one church if you know St. Louis it was near Northwest Plaza uh, behind the White Castle so I was kind of over there anyway and it was very interesting during the service they had a woman that they were really trying to help to speak in tongues because they believed if you did not speak in tongues then you could doubt whether you were a Christian or not well What does Pentecost mean by speaking in tongues? Going on with verse 5. Remember, Scripture interprets Scripture. There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Okay, this gives you a little indication. Every nation. And why were they? Well, they were there for the Pentecost celebration. And at the sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered. Now, this next point is really important, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. See, that was the gift of speaking in tongues. Not that they were speaking in angelic gibberish, but that they were speaking in a known foreign language. In fact, it goes on, they were amazed, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? And then they named them. Aparthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Now, verse 12, and I had never really thought of this before, but you know what I've been doing the past few weeks here talking about, it's one thing to know the ingredients of the Bible, the events, the persons, the miracles, the various sayings, the parables, etc. But it's quite another thing to know what they mean. And I often remember that when Martin Luther wrote the small catechism, he first starts out with the ingredients, like the Ten Commandments. But then in each commandment... Commandment, what does he say right after the commandment? What does this mean? Because knowing the commandments doesn't mean you know the meaning of the commandments. Uh, Yesterday when I was preaching here at the International Center, I made the point that two people can have the Ten Commandments memorized right out of Exodus 20. But the one person will conclude that by obeying the commandments you earn heaven. The other one will conclude, the commandments were given to show that we cannot earn or merit our way to heaven. See, those are two entirely different understandings of the 10 Commandments. And guess what is in this particular verse? They're hearing the disciples speaking in known foreign languages And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Isn't that interesting? Now, others mocking said they are filled with new wine. See, this is a perfect point that I I can make what I've been trying to say for the last two or three weeks, that you can hear the ingredients. They're hearing them speak in foreign languages, but you can have two interpretations What does this mean? Many of them heard what it meant about Jesus Christ, and guess what? Thousands were baptized that day. Or, others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea, all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Which, what I meant, it's 9 a.m. Because the hours begin at 6. So, Peter then gives a meaning to what they're saying. In verse 16, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And what is happening on this day? The meaning of Pentecost is found in verse 17. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. See, this is the fulfillment of the promise that Jesus made that he was going to send another comforter. And that occurred on Pentecost. Now, when you hear the word prophesy, you get the feeling, oh, they're going to be able to tell the future? No, 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 no. Prophesy in the Bible can mean talking about the future, but it also means just proclaiming the word of God. That's really important. Uh, For example... If you take a look at chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, which many people will use as the chapter about prophecy, speaking in this angelic gibberish, Paul begins, Pursue love and earnestly the desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God for no one understands him. But he utters the mysteries in the spirit. I, I could do that at Trinity Lutheran Church this Sunday. I could do the sermon just speaking in the Greek language. Now, many of them will just be, since I don't fluently know Greek, but I know how to read the Greek Bible... I could just give Bible verse after Bible verse about Pentecost on the basis of the Greek Bible. No one, except maybe a few people who know the Greek or have some training in theology, will know what I'm talking about. So the word prophecy here doesn't mean speaking about future things that are going to occur but it means proclaiming the Word of God. Now, that does include future things that will occur, such as Judgment Day, etc., but that's all based on Scripture. So, to prophecy or prophesy properly means to repeat what the Scripture says to the people of God. In, in fact, If you read chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, we don't have time to go through the whole thing. And every time you see the word tongues interpreted as known foreign languages, and it works all the way through 1 Corinthians 14, it doesn't have to be a gibberish of the angels. Because Paul makes it very clear that he doesn't want somebody speaking in a known foreign language because according to verse 4, the one who speaks in the tongue builds up himself because he knows what he's saying, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. We were uh, taking a look last Sunday at Trinity at classical Lutheran education. Uh, KFUO talks about it quite a bit. And you know what they're doing with kids in school? They're teaching them Latin and Greek. And we're talking about kids in grades three, four, five, six, seven, and eight. And, and why Latin? Because that really helps you understand the, believe it or not, the grammar in the English. So classical Lutheran education really examines how you teach children so that they can begin to think for themselves. It's not spoon-fed kinds of curriculum. And it's not the only one, by the way, that isn't spoon-fed. I'm not denigrating other curricula because I'm not a trained teacher and I, I don't know much about that area. I was just making the point that you've got kids in that school that are speaking Latin that their parents don't understand when they come home because most parents don't know Latin. So when the Apostle Paul says it's far better to prophesy than to speak in tongues, he's saying if you're in a situation where the known foreign language you have a grasp on, nobody understands, well, it's a waste of time speaking. Now, you may pray. For example, uh, some of the shut uh, that I visit, they were trained in the catechism in the German. And was it Mark Smith, I think, who said that when you say the Lord's Prayer in German with them, boy, that is so comforting to them. Because that's how they were taught the Lord's Prayer in the German catechism. So speaking in tongues is important in fact i'll tell you in the old days when the lutheran church missouri Synod began to reach out to indians here in north america we would at first try to get them to learn german so that then they could understand us in the german well things have changed now when i was in russia for example I was uh, with a a missionary who was there and he was told that he must first learn Russian so that he could therefore prophesy to the people in their own language. I mean, this is really exciting. What does this mean? And when Peter heard that and we get back to Acts chapter 2, he talked about that. Guess what? the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out. And verse 21 is really important of Acts chapter 2. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That calling on the name of the Lord means you trust in Jesus as your Savior. So the point I'm trying to make today is when you hear them speaking in tongues, be well aware that Acts 2 clearly indicates that that speaking in tongues involved known foreign languages. Now, we're not quite sure how that happened. Um, Some people think that they were speaking in Aramaic, which was the language of that day, but when people heard it, God did a miracle and had them hear it in their own known foreign language. I don't agree with that particular point of view, Uh, although it's possible. It's not really clear here. I, I believe that each of the persons who were prophesying, they had a specific language that fit the list of people that were there. Remember Elamites, Mesopotamia, Cappadocia, parts of Libya. Uh, Visitors from Rome wouldn't have known Aramaic. Cretans and Arabians, well, they would have been speaking in Arabic to them. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So that's how I understand it, that each of the individuals have been given the gift to speak in a known foreign language, even though they hadn't been trained to do so. There is um, an occasion when that appeared to happen. I believe it's the Wycliffe translators. They had a missionary in South America who had been captured by uh, the people who lived there and was going to be put to death. Uh, the natives wanted to kill him. He was tied up and they were ready to, I think, either burn him or kill him with spears. And he was praying. And all of a sudden, he began praying in a language he didn't know. And the people were astonished because it was their language. And the story goes on that they let him loose, uh, had him live with them. He brought his wife in, and that village became Christian. That's the only time that I had some justification in saying that speaking in tongues still went on today. Uh, we we in St. Louis, for example, there's a couple of churches that on specific holy days will have a German worship service. Uh, they speak the sermon in German. In fact, my home congregation, they had two services. One was in English, one was in German every Sunday. And so it was kind of fun preaching there, for sure. <laughs> Uh, The early service was German. The late service was in English with the Bible study in between, which they did in English. And, And they're still doing that. So it doesn't matter what language. But when we send our missionaries out, we try and have them learn the language of the people to whom they are going. I found out that Russian, to learn Russian, it's one of the most difficult languages. And therefore, it takes a while to learn Russian properly. The most difficult language is Vietnamese. And the reason I was told that is that a lot of times you'll have the same word spelled the same way, but it has totally different meaning depending on your inflection. So, in other words, we don't have much of that in English. But if you were talking about something with, say, two syllables in it, Like, um, let let me think of something, continent. If you say continent, that may be different than continent. It may have two different meanings. So that's why that Vietnamese is really hard to understand and and to learn. It's, It's just amazing. I was with the grandkids on Memorial Day, and they were talking a blue streak. Uh, What I mean by that, they had proper English sentences, and they're not even in kindergarten yet. (laughs) And yet they're able to speak. How do they learn those things? It's just quite amazing how a little child can learn a language. And even Russian or Vietnamese, if that's where they live, that's the language they learn. I read an article recently How do they know how to say the proper adjectives or adverbs? It's because they just keep listening to their parents. There was a real interesting uh, devotion I was reading, probably bring it up at Trinity on Sunday, uh, the whole thing, where a little child heard his father saying a bad word, so he used it, and he said to his father, well, I just want to be like you. And in this particular situation, the father decided no longer to use bad words. And one day he was praying as he went to bed. He was on his knees, and his son saw that. And then when he put his son to bed, the son wanted to kneel down and say the prayer to God because he just wanted to be like Dad. The, the point I'm making is... Children often follow the example of their parents. That's why uh, people who come to church, go to Bible study and have their kids go to Sunday school. that's, that's really important because Sunday school teachers, they, they many of them have a gift to get to little children and prophesy to them. That is, say the words of God. That will bring them comfort. Right now at Trinity Lutheran Orchard Farm, we have Vacation Bible School beginning in the morning about 8.30 on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Today's Wednesday, and I'll be there at 30 once more to give the closing devotion. And then tomorrow, Thursday. So if you're in the area and you want to come to Vacation Bible School, we, we feed the kids, drop them off early, pick them up at 2 o'clock be glad to have them there. And you'll also get a a good kind of um, relationship and experience with the school that we have there. Uh, Trinity Lutheran, Orchard Farm is one of the few schools left that does not charge tuition for members. And so if anybody is at all interested, you can talk to the principal. Her name is Esther, and she'll be glad to give you a lot of information about how you can bring your child to the parochial school. It begins in August again. They're off now for the summer. And you'll get a really, really good Christian education as they prophesy to the children. And prophecy, in this case, means to teach them the message of law and gospel, uh, teach them the ingredients of the Bible, but most importantly, teaching them the meaning of the Bible. So Vacation Bible School, a lot of churches have that. What, what I told my confirmands is try and bring someone from your neighborhood. And I heard that there were like some 60 children there, which uh, for Orchard Farm is a really good number. And a number of them are not members of Trinity. So I'll be making up a closing devotion again today at 1.30, and again, tomorrow at 1.30. Three days vacation Bible school, still not too late to get there if you want to bring him tomorrow to Trinity Lutheran in Orchard Farm. Tomorrow on Law and Gospel, uh, Reverend Wes Rhymnitz will be with me. We may continue to talk about Pentecost because there's still a lot more to do. He may have another item on his mind, or you can email me, and the email is Gospel. At law and gospel101.com. That's say it once more. Law and gospel at law 101com And then we have open mic Friday. And we're only asking people to phone in who want to be on the air. If you just want to ask a question or something, then use that email again. And I'll be taking a look at it before Friday and try and respond to anybody who sends us an email with a question but make sure you put your phone number because I like to talk to you also till tomorrow god
1: Listen bless to on gospel each weekday at this time on worldwide kfuo For a contribution to the program, make your check payable to Law & Gospel and mail it to Pastor Tom Baker, Post Office Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. You can call toll-free at 1-877-267-1962 or email Law & Gospel at lawandgospel101.com.